0: Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminals, we just don't give a shit.
1: Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by Tabitha and Katie.
0: Hey guys, it's Tabitha. And I'm Katie. Welcome back to Crimes and Cocktails. So this is part two
1: of the Torso Murders, aka the Butcher of Kingsbury Run, and we are still Mm -hmm. sipping our extra Bloody Marys. Mm -hmm. Yummy yum. Yum. Um, which I realized when we were recording this, that I never posted the recipe on our Instagram, but that is also because if you were listening and you were a follower of the previous Instagram, we have a new one. So, um, if you haven't listened to part one, go listen to part one. I don't need to rant on again about why we lost our Instagram, but we have yeah. a new Instagram. So I will post the recipe for this delicious Bloody Mary on that. And it is correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's crimes.cocktails Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. So our new Instagram is crimes.cocktails. Um, you can also find our Twitter at Cocktails Crimes. If you just want to say hi and send us some positive words of encouragement or, you know, tell us about a crime or whatever, um, you can email us at cocktails at gmail.com. And if you are on Patreon, check us out patreon.com slash crimes and cocktails. So, yeah. We'll we'll definitely put the recipe up, and we're slowly rebuilding our social media presence. Thank you, everyone who has followed us. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, We have more than five followers now. That's so cool.
0: (laughs) I think we're closing in on 90. (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: so sad, (laughs) but it is what it is, so... But it Jeez. is um but yeah so thank you guys for you know finding us uh like i said our previous instagram was hacked and lost <laughs> and we're starting over um we did tease you guys about doing a raffle and such but i think that's going to be pushed to a new year's raffle um just because of trying to get our instagram situated and we got to get our ads and all that fun stuff set up so It'll be a couple weeks before we actually can do a raffle again. Yeah. Um, but, but we come. do have some little Christmas <clears throat> gifts going out to our patron members, our patient patrons. So hang on, guys. We got some little goodies coming out to you. And um, yeah, sipping my blood and merry in my 75 degree Florida weather.
0: It was 32 degrees in my office this I'm morning. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I had icicles coming out my nose. I'm
1: so jealous. I So I have the AC going all the time right now because I want it to be winter. And mm-hmm. it's just like not. Even though it actually did drop down to a cool 65 today and oh. there was some rain. So I was like, oh, it's kind of Christmassy, but. You'll be back in Monterey in a couple of I know, of days. I'm excited. <laughs> Although I am a little sad that you guys are getting so much stormy weather right now, and I think that's going away by the time I get there. So I'm like, oh, I would have loved some good Monterey storms. But I'm happy it's going away. It's okay. But I know. I did yeah. see snow in Big Sur, and that made me excited, and just I'm really excited to wear coats. <laughs> <laughs> time to bust out that gear again yeah I'm gonna sip my Bloody Mary I'm definitely gonna have a Bloody Mary in the cold when I come back I love Bloody Marys in the cold I don't I think it's because the first Bloody Mary I actually ever had was at a ski resort so it was like outside in the snow and ever since Mm -hmm. then like I love Bloody Marys in the snow there's something about it that's just this
0: is the best I just I just love Bloody Marys (laughs) yes they are the best And I rarely drink them in the morning. It's usually at night. Oh, I drink them anytime. (laughs) Anytime, anyway, any day. Anyway, any day. All right, so let's go ahead
1: and dive back into this. Um, And there actually is going to be a part three, but uh, we will round out part two here. So when we last left off in part one, it was September 1936. Do you remember? uh and yeah now when i hear that song though i just think of like the TikToks. like do you remember remember <laughs> I
0: remember hear. who you are yeah,
1: just hear that and i'm like god the song is ruined TikTok has ruined so much music for me oh 100 there's some songs i, I can't know. listen to anymore. what really slight side like note here what really is pissing me off is the trend of everyone doing the Wednesday Adams dance, but to not the not the song by the Cramps?
0: Yes, like yes. what is it's this? like a Lady Gaga song? Is that what it is, Lady Gaga? Yeah,
1: they're all doing yeah. that, and I'm just like, the Cramps was better. <laughs>
0: like, yeah. do the Cramps. This, yeah, this
1: song wasn't even in the show, so where did Stupid. this even come from? And then you have people who probably didn't even watch the show that are like, oh, the Wednesday Adams song. And I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> uh, if you have not watched Wednesday on Netflix, go do it. I didn't think I was gonna like it, and I love it. So
0: I liked it a lot because it was like a murder mystery.
1: Yeah, it's like a murder mystery, and it's just good. It's it's really good. It's Tim Burton, so of course it's gonna be good. I should have known, but yeah, I don't like to be disappointed, so I set myself up for failure. It's <laughs> <laughs> how I do most things in life. Yeah. All right, yeah. so let's jump into this. So, in the fall of 1936, um, we have our seventh victim has just been found, I believe. I get a little confused because. Yes, so it was our step So, they, it's, it's confusing because if you guys remember the Lady of the Lake, they referred to her as victim zero, mm-hmm. and then they start counting up. So, there's actually seven victims at this point. It gets a little confusing. Um, So by this time, it's starting to be like a full on media frenzy, as you can imagine, because, well, at this time, got to remember, they think they don't think the first one is connected. So they're saying six brutal murders in one year, Mm -hmm. even though there's actually seven. So six brutal murders, quote unquote seven. uh, And the Cleveland police do not seem to have any suspects or any clues as to why these were committed. So the newspapers at the time, the Cleveland Press, the Cleveland News, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, were all just reporting this every single day and about the murders and just, of course, about the incompetence of the Cleveland police. And like most serial killer names, the press came up with the Bad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. So now we have this terrifying funny. name to this guy, which, yeah. I mean, he definitely is being a butcher. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and as, you know, politics are getting involved, the mayor at the time, Harold Burton, he was getting a lot of shit from the community, so he starts giving shit to the police, and also at the time, the safety director is Elliot Ness. Um, Elliot Ness is actually a really cool, interesting guy. Um, I was kind of reading about him, and he's just, he, he could be like a whole non-criminal case thing <laughs> but mm-hmm. he he had like i don't know he was like really heavily involved in the city and like he was investigating like a lot of prohibition stuff and some of the big wig like gangsters at the time so he's actually pretty he's a pretty cool dude um he may have been a little pretty overzealous cool in one of his suspects in this case but he, he definitely put his heart and soul into anything to make cleveland better But he was getting involved in the case, and so the pressure's really on at this point. The coroner, Pierce, he sort of wanted to have this meeting of, like, the police and experts where they could kind of discuss information and kind of quote, unquote, profile someone. Now, this is before we did the whole profiling thing like the FBI mm-hmm. does. But they were trying to, like, have, like, a brainstorm session of, like, okay, what kind of person would do these things, who could do these things, etc. The newspapers, they dubbed this the Torso Clinic. Kind of a weird name that they gave that, yeah. but that's what <laughs> they gave it.
0: Yeah, no, it's, um, it's interesting because it's seeing kind of the early – What's the early stages of what, how investigations yeah. are done now. because you also so. got
1: to remember, like, serial killers, like, I don't think, that, I mean, they didn't really link these cases to each other for a while, because no Mm-mm. one could fathom at the time that someone could murder numerous There wasn't numerous even people. the term yeah, at like, that the point. Yeah, like, serial killer, the term did not exist, and most murders, everything had to have, like, this reason behind it, like, oh, well... You know, he was angry at this person, or this person, like, cheated on him, or he was robbing him. There's always, like, got to be this logical reason, not just, like, hey, someone likes to kill, so they're killing people. Like, that doesn't make sense at this time frame, so.
0: Yeah. So, the police department put detectives Peter Merlow and Martin Zalelski on the case full time. They would often go undercover and dress the part, um, investigating and hanging out in the rough neighborhood of Kingsbury Run and the Roaring Third. These two detectives interviewed more than 1500 people <laughs> and the Cleveland Police Department interviewed a little more than 5000 people. So an insane amount of people are being questioned, especially for that I-wing like case. Picturing all
1: the paperwork
0: for that. Oh not God. like
1: I, I mean it's uh, in that time frame. I mean like now we've got like, you know, a little Recorders and laptops and everything's a file in there, but I can only imagine the file. writing as fast as they
0: can. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Typewriting way. Oh gosh, no. So, all the dings in the office. Um, but yeah, so this is I think the biggest police investigation in Cleveland's history, um, if not even now, but definitely then. But um, maybe even now. So you know, this is this is huge. And then also around this time, the November elections had just happened, so um, the mayor still remained Harold Burton, uh, but the coroner that Tabitha was just talking about, Pierce, he was replaced by 39-year-old Samuel Gerber. So he's coming on to a new job (laughs) as the coroner, and this this case is chopped up bodies for you, yeah. Here
1: we go. This is what's going on, man. Yeah. <laughs> so quickly after November election in February of 1937, the next year, a couple months later, because uh, that's how you know a year works, <laughs> a man found huh. the <laughs> upper half of a woman's torso washed up on the shore of the East. I think this is the name of the river, but I cannot pronounce it. Broughton null. I'm Brontal. so sorry if you're from this area and you're making fun of me right now.
0: <laughs> if you're from this area and this is how you spell uh, water, get the fuck out!
1: But unlike previous victims, the cause of death had not been decapitation. So if you guys remember the first like five victims, the coroner had determined like everyone had died because they were decapitated, which is like just seems like the worst way to go to me. Like I ugh, yeah, ugh. um, so. Apparently, her head being removed happened after she was already dead, Um, so they did not really determine how she died, but they could tell that that cut was made after she was dead. Um, The lower half of the torso washed up three months later, like much farther down. Um, The woman was determined to be in her mid-20s, but she was never identified, sadly, which is a lot of these victims. In June, the same year, a couple months later, a teenage boy discovered a human skull under the Lorraine Carnegie Bridge. Next to it was a burlap bag containing the skeletal remains of what turned out to be a petite woman of about 40 years old. Dental work allowed for the unofficial identification as Rose Wallace of Scoville Avenue. Um, police followed every lead they had on her, but nothing was leading them to anything at this time. So now
0: it's July, 1937. Around this time, there were labor problems in the flats, so the National Guard had been called in to maintain order. One of the guardsmen standing watched by a bridge saw someone floating in the Cayuga River (laughs) in the wake (laughs) of a passing tugboat. After further inspection, he could see that it was a body. After the police recovered the body, they could see that the head was missing, the abdomen had been gutted, and the heart ripped out, which clearly showed that the killer was escalating with more gruesome and vicious attacks. The victim was in his mid to late 30s. He was never identified.
1: Like, when I read that, part of me was thinking, like, what if an animal got to him? But, I mean, maybe I didn't... There wasn't clear notes on, like, how he was gutted or the heart ripped out, like, if it was, like, clear clean cuts or something so that they mm-hmm. know that it was someone but i don't know like kind of the way it was written just like oh it was gutted and the heart was ripped down i'm like okay well what if it was an animal or like a fish or something yeah. but yeah i don't know i'm not the coroner so i'm, I'm sure he knows what he's doing <laughs>
0: <laughs> hopefully he's doing the job though yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh april 1938 On his way back to work in the flats, a worker saw what he at first thought was a dead fish along the banks of the Cayuga River. Closer inspection revealed it to be the lower half of a woman's leg. Mm -hmm. Victim number 10. A month later, police pulled two burlap bags out of the river containing both parts of the torso and most of the rest of both legs. For the first time, Coroner Gerber detected drugs in the system. It was unclear if the drugs were in her system to sedate her or if she was actually an addict. Um, they never found her arm, which they were hoping would have track marks or something so they could figure out if the killer was doing this or if this was something she was doing to herself. Um, but, you know, obviously they couldn't answer that. Mm-hmm. And then also, sadly, she was also unidentified. Yeah. And Never identified, I should it's say. It's
1: interesting with the yeah. burlap sack, like, because they saw that with the skeletons as well. And for it to be a skeleton, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, how long was that
0: body? Yeah, there? I wonder when that murder was in comparison to the ones that we discussed in part
1: like one. i kind of want to know with the skeletal remains like did he hang on to that body until it was a skeleton and then put mm-hmm. in the that bag or they just didn't find or them. was it just deteriorating you know decompensating blah, 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 in the um <laughs> Bag itself and and then the fact That it's next to a bridge I'm just wondering like Is he trying to dispose of them In the river like thinking this is a great Way to
0: get rid of this Yeah I mean Cause they keep we keep seeing over and Over again people are seeing like washed up Cause it's it's interesting parts. because In
1: episode one I felt Like every um body Was on display Yes and then these ones the they're Finding like floating in the river so It's almost you know what's going on here like is he trying to hide it are these crimes that were committed
0: earlier i feel like at first his first victims he was kind of doing it like when he had the opportunity to more like kind of like a spree Mm. and then with the later ones because you see him get to be this is like disgusting but like kind of figuring out what I'm I'm saying he. It could be a woman. I don't fucking know. <laughs> that like they I guess what they kind of like and are trying to get from these murders. Yeah. And so I think maybe they were like, okay, if I keep killing people when the opportunity strikes and in public places, I'm gonna get caught. But if I take people to another place and then dispose of their remains elsewhere or in the river and then they wash away and then you know they can't find everything or it's from removed from the murder site that they're gonna have a harder time finding me i think with all the people that they questioned, there's also the good chance that that person who was responsible was being questioned and then realized you know how much effort the cleveland police force was putting into finding this person
1: yeah i mean it, that could be it it could be just experimenting trying to figure out what it is that works in this next one that they i mean he definitely like put on display for this next one so it's just so weird, weird. what you're doing yeah um in august 16th 1938 so this is a year later so he who knows he could have killed definitely i mean i feel like he definitely killed more people than what they found especially if he's putting them yeah. in, in the river like there's a chance maybe he put rocks in some of those bags you know and mm-hmm. like who knows but Three scrap collectors were kind of forging in a dump site at East Ninth and Lakeside, and they found the torso of a woman wrapped in a man's double-breasted blue blazer and then wrapped again in an old quilt. The legs and the arms, which were separate, were discovered in a recently constructed makeshift box, and they were wrapped in brown butcher paper, which was then held together by rubber bands, like how you wrap meat at the time. And the head, also separate, had been similarly wrapped. Now the coroner, he noted that some of the parts looked like they had been refrigerated. Uh, which to me I'm that was like they had refrigerators back then or ice I guess ice boxes or ice something boxes. like that. Yeah. yeah. But then that, see, like that there is you know, maybe he's really perfected his way that he's doing this and he's getting more like okay now i know how i get the person how i kill the person and then i want to take my time away for the right moment to drop them out of public sight, for them to be found and arrange them in this such way who knows yeah but they they were looking around you know in this area and they found a second body only just a few yards away so there was two bodies here actually at this point And these two bodies had been placed in a location that was pretty much in direct view from the safety director, Elliot Ness's office window. And Elliot Ness was a very big public figure at this time. Like, like I said, he was do all for Cleveland. Like he was very much in the public eye and people knew that he was definitely aiding in this case. So he definitely thought that this was done to taunt him. But, I mean, we don't know. It could just be by chance. But both of these victims were not identified. So, now, around this, after this incident happened, this is not the best thing that he has done. But he got a little zealous, a little crazy. And I can only imagine how many hours people are putting into this case and feeling like someone's taunting them and getting crazy. But... On August 18th, 1938, at about 1240 in the morning, the director, safety director, Elliot Ness, and a group of 35 police officers and detectives, they raided the homeless encampments encampments in Kingsbury Run. So they went through, they had 11 squad cars, two police fans, and three fire trucks. And they just went on like, all of these clusters of these makeshift shacks you know that are made out of like cardboard newspaper whatever they find you know and they went through there and they just raided the entire area Um, they gathered up 63 men and then the firemen and the police just searched these like homes for clues and hold whatever they thought they found that was related or whatever they didn't find. And then at the end of it, this is really sad. The, um, director Ness, he ordered for all of these people's homes, essentially shacks, you know, to be set on fire and burned to the ground. So rightfully deserved, the press really severely criticized Ness for these actions. Um, I mean, it didn't really do anything for the case. It was just, it, to me, kind of seemed like someone being angry and just acting out, yeah. but not necessarily taking it out on the right people. I mean, the, this community is the one being terrorized by this killer. Yeah. And now and, these guys just went and terrorized this community.
0: And logically, people living in that community probably wouldn't be able to have the privacy needed to commit these yeah. murders. Yeah. So. Like, it's just, it
1: doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah. not great. So then this is. Like I said, he's not a perfect guy. He did a lot of good things for the community, but this was definitely not one of those things. Um, yeah. The public was pretty afraid and frustrated. And, you know, a lot of people were saying like, yeah, this raid did nothing to solve the murder. And they're 100% right because they didn't
0: really have much after that. Yeah. So, after interviewing and investigating, the police determined that 52-year-old Slovakian bricklayer Frank Dolzell had lived with Flo um, Polilo. She was the third victim, if you guys remember, who was found wrapped in a brown meatpacking paper in the bushel baskets. Um, Frank was also a frequent patron of a bar that 28-year-old Edward Andrasi would also hang out in, in the Roaring Third. So he was connected, you know, in ways to both of these people. Uh, Which is uh, another victim, if you guys remember. Oh, yeah, Yeah. sorry. That was another victim from part one. Yeah. So, uh, County Sheriff Martin O'Donnell arrested him in July of 1939. The Cleveland police gave him the most grueling interrogation. Um, He ended up confessing to murdering Flo and claimed that it was in self-defense. However, later he recanted the confession and said that police had actually beat him into confessing. Yeah,
1: and I was actually reading a lot of different articles on this, and... He was a well-known drunk in the Roaring Third area, and people said that his confessions just sounded like drunken gibberish. And then he he did confess, I think, like a couple times, and
0: they said it just sounded like it was very coached. Yeah, yeah. So he, was actually, he actually made three confessions, and none of them added up. It was written in one of the detective's memoirs, And I quote, this is the first time that I've ever known anyone to confess to a crime that didn't know the details of a crime to which he was confessing, end quote. While Frank was awaiting trial, he had been found hung in his cell. Now, uh, Frank was 5'8", and he had been found hanging from a hook that was um, uh, 5'7". inches from the floor, or so five feet seven inches from the floor. Um an autopsy revealed that he had six broken ribs. According to Frank's friends, he did not have broken ribs when he was around. And he's like, how are you gonna hang from something that's shorter than you? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no. That doesn't happen. Um Frank was buried in an unmarked grave and was named the Butcher. In August 2010, though, Frank was exonerated of the killings, and it's believed that he was murdered in jail and did not commit suicide, as that looks pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Police Historical Society placed a headstone on his grave with a plaque above it that reads Rest Now. It's so sad. Like, Harriet, mm-hmm. this guy moves from Slovakia
1: to America for, you know, a new life and then gets hit with the fucking Great Depression... And he's Mm -hmm. living in, you know, the Shitstown part of Cleveland Mm -hmm. and his roommate gets murdered. I don't know if they were more than, you know, roommates or what. I don't, I don't really know that didn't really go into that. And then he just like when they said, oh, he was a common patron of the bar that Edward Andrassi did. I feel like a lot of people were because I mean, it's just that area that everyone's getting murdered from. It's the same area. It's like. Yeah. A lot of people go and drink at the local bar. And, but, I mean, I realize, though, like, after interviewing 5,000 people, you're like, hey, this is the only connection we have, so we're mm-hmm. just going to go and with And I'm it. sure
0: people were getting, were terrified. Oh, yeah. They, they want they this to end. somebody to pin it on. So they're like, yeah.
1: let's just find ourselves a patsy and say he did it, and then maybe people mm-hmm. will feel better. But then it's like, what's that going to solve? Because then the killer could just start killing people still, and it's like. Nothing. So it's very sad. And I'm really glad, even though, you know, it's like almost a hundred years later. So was it 70 years later or something like that? Yeah. It's still just, it's definitely good that they did that. And, you know, we're able to honor him in that way. So it's really sad. Mm -hmm. Another suspect that is also kind of, it's a weird one. um, Dr. Francis E. Sweeney. Now, like Katie was saying, Frank Dalzal, 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 I don't actually know how to pronounce his last name. He was at the time, he, everyone's like, yep, he's the butcher. He did it. But before then, there were a couple of suspects, and this one was a main one. And even after Frank was arrested as the butcher, the safety director Ness was convinced that this guy, Dr. Sweeney, was the butcher.
0: Is this where Sweeney Todd
1: comes from? Uh, no, oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> the butcher. I think Asuni oh, Todd is an old story. No,
0: I have no idea.
1: I'm not looking I'm not it sure. up. I mean, I I thought that was like a very old. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I yet. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up.
0: Oh, yeah, it's older. It's from a Penny Dreadful serial titled The String of Pearls from 1846.
1: Okay, I was like, I feel like it's pretty old, but 1846, you said? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so, so much that's before like, this. Yeah.
0: I'm only familiar with the um, Tim Burton one. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like. Is I remember this, this one guy.
1: <laughs> I was like 18. This guy wanted to date me. And I was like, oh, we should watch that movie. I don't know if it had like come out on I don't I don't think it was out in the movies. I think it was like on video or something at that point. But yeah. um it was not his cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, what the we fuck? did not hang out again. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good way to get rid of people. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> but yeah. So Dr. Francis E. Sweeney, not Sweeney Todd. <laughs> was born in 1894. Um, his family was an impoverished Irish family who lived on the east side of Cleveland, Cleveland on the edge of Kingsbury run. So he had grown up in Kingsbury run and he had a really good, as you one does growing up in an area has a really good lay of the land. Um, mm-hmm. And he had kind of like a hard life. His dad had been badly injured. His mother died of a stroke when he was nine years old. So, you know, hard knocks life for this guy having to grow up with his siblings trying to figure stuff out but he really pushed himself to have a better life so he was he was actually a really high intelligence and he worked his way through undergraduate work pharmacy school and medical school all while holding down full-time jobs so pretty impressive Um, he was actually the vice president of his sophomore class uh, as well and he was recommended recommended by all of his professors so he did really well in school um he graduated from medical school in saint louis in 1928 and he was a surgical resident at saint alexis hospital which is in the kingsbury run area as well um his parents i mean his parents his siblings remembered him as someone who just was like obsessed with medicine and science and looking into more and more of like all of that, um, so he was, you know, he was doing good. He was like the protege. He was just of this, uh, also a highly respected physician at the time, which was Doctor Doctor Carl Heyman. I believe that is how that is pronounced. Could be could be Heyman. Heyman. <laughs> hey <laughs> but he had a really promising like career ahead of him. So he was life is life was looking good he got married he had two uh, young sons and it was looking good however uh he did so let me back up here um he was he did participate in world war one as a medic and i can only imagine you know how that changes people in a lot of ways um he yeah. was discharged from that because uh he had some injuries that they said made him this was a weird thing that they said he was 25% disabled, which I'm like what does that even mean? <laughs> How do you put a percentage? I mean, on that? What percentage of me is disabled I want to know. But so he was <laughs> discharged from the from the war, sent home to do that. And then he started drinking pretty heavily. Um And in 1933, his wife actually committed him to a hospital because of how severe his drinking was. He was becoming violent, he was abusive, and because of this he actually ended up losing his uh, medical license. So he was no longer able to practice. And then three years later in 1936, his wife filed for divorce and custody of the children and she filed a restraining order against him. So... Life is, it went way up and then it went way down. Mm -hmm. Um, So he continued drinking like a lot and it was just getting pretty worse. Um, Around the time of like, I think that he was first committed or something like that. The reason why they started to, you know, after they're doing research and all the people in this area, they start trying to connect wires and dots to whoever they think. Well, around the time of like, his really deterioration in which he just, like, it seemed to climax the most is around the time that the Lady of the Lake uh, would have been mm-hmm. murdered in that time frame. So they're thinking, mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe this is a connection here. He's a doctor, so he has knowledge of people's, you know, the human body and how that goes and everything. Um, he has... <clears throat> he had a severe head injury while he was in World. While I cannot talk at all, sorry guys, <laughs> getting tongue tied. <laughs> but he had a severe head injury that made him that 25% disabled. You know, in the World War One. I. I don't know why it's World War One. It's a hard thing to say for me today. So there were just a couple things that seemed to be lining up. And here's the thing: I feel like a lot of these things can line up if you want them to. Um, yeah. It doesn't necessarily make him a murderer just because this guy had knowledge of the physical, you know, human body and he had a drinking problem and was abusive when he drank. It doesn't make him a serial killer or a murderer. It just, they're finding things they're trying to connect. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a couple, you know, they're, they're just found this. They decided that they were going to go ahead and interview him. And apparently he did a polygraph test that he failed, but polygraph tests are not the uh, end-all be-all mm-hmm. so after failing the polygraph test um he actually failed twice he committed himself to a uh, mental hospital at this time and because he had failed that and this was kind of it wasn't a publicized interview by the way this was kind of more under wraps Um, They Mm -hmm. did do two court-ordered psychiatric examinations in 1938, which they said he was actually found sane. But it was pretty clear this guy was actually struggling with a lot of mental illness, and he actually had a history of it. His dad also suffered from mental illness. And in 1938, Mm -hmm. he was actually committed into a veteran's (coughs) hospital, and he was later diagnosed, not until 1956, I believe, with schizophrenia. So... This it kind of explains a nice. lot, especially with the alcohol <laughs> abuse and such. Mm-hmm. Self-medicating. Yeah, self-medicating for sure. Um, and just not knowing who he was or anything. I mean, one of the claim one of the reasons, another kind of quiet hush hush reasoning that they suspected him was because they suspected he was bisexual and this killer, as you know, doesn't seem to have a preference between men or women when they're killing. So they were trying mm-hmm. to, like, fit that in there and say, like, oh, maybe this is why. So I just feel like, I feel like this guy has a lot of unlucky things against him. But there's no real hard, clear evidence. It's just them trying to, I think, make a puzzle piece fit as well as they could. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he was, he was never found guilty of this. But because of his mental illness, and this does not look good for him, but he also struggled with having, you know, schizophrenia and such, he was sending Elliot Ness, um, like, pretty obscene and menacing notes and, like, kind of taunting Mm -hmm. him in the years to follow. So I think that also just really set Ness in the way of, like, this guy's the killer. Like, he for sure, he had to be the one. He had to be the one to do it, especially if he's thinking that, like, that last murder happened in front of his office he's like sure that someone is like fucking with him so Mm -hmm. he just kind of really got hell-bent on pursuing that Dr. Sweeney could or is the butcher Mm -hmm. but nothing was ever found of that and actually Dr. Sweeney passed away in 1964 so nothing ever happened
0: with that so Um, As you can imagine, we said earlier that over 5,000 people were interviewed and there are many more suspects. Um, Not just these two, but these were the two that police determined to be the most likely. Um, And um, as you know, we've said before, this case is still unsolved. Um, And then many police records from this time have been lost. Um, So anything that may have been helpful um in solving this case um from back then may not even be around anymore. Uh so it's very likely that we're not ever going to actually know who the true butcher and of Kingsbury run Kennedy. is. Which is so, horrible. so
1: frustrating. So, yeah. yeah. So um we're going to cut this short actually right now, but on our next episode, there are a few other possible murders than some theories that I want to get into a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um that could be linked to the same murder could not could just be a weird theory but we love them and then Mm -hmm. there's also you know a couple spooky hauntings from the area as you might imagine kingsbury run is overrun with ghosts for sure so we'll kind of talk a
0: couple of those as well yeah so a little part three for you guys but yeah with some associated information we
1: won't have part three though until the new year because we're going to take a little a little siesta for the next uh, mm-hmm. two weeks. I mean we will have our single shot coming out next week. For our patrons. But mm-hmm. we're going to take uh, the week off. Between Christmas and New Year's. Just to uh, recharge, recharge a little bit. of going to be
0: traveling. So
1: I know. It's I'm gonna excited to get to go home to yeah. California. Yes. <laughs> my friends and potty it up. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Oh and we will. Oh, we will. We will. <laughs>
1: Alright guys, well, it is really late in Florida for me right now, so I think we're gonna tap out. (laughs) Catch you on
0: the flip side, guys. Bye, Merry Christmas. Bye, (laughs) bye Merry Christmas. (laughs)